Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today our topic is a special request and it's all about post-pregnancy eating for running. And the topic was a request from Laura, one of our listeners. So if you're past childbearing age, please don't switch off because the information that we share today might be helpful for you to share with younger women in your circle. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome everybody, I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen Uh, and as always we're going to share something personal today with you about our nutritional running before we move on to discuss the topic for today which is focusing on post-pregnancy eating or running and this subject really came about following a question from one of our followers Laura who actually asked the question a few weeks ago but it took us a little while to get the topic into our our schedule and uh, at that point Laura was currently nine weeks postpartum postpartum so post-pregnancy um we did actually cover some of her questions in our facebook group at the time um, so that she had a little bit of help um, but we thought it would be a good idea to expand upon it during uh, one of the episodes um, we're sure there's lots of women out there who might be considering returning to pregnancy and maybe not sure how to approach it um, um you know all i would say is even if you're past childbearing age you've probably got women younger women in your circle you know maybe in your family or friends or running groups that might benefit from even if it's just a little snippet of of information that you you find out about today so hopefully um we'll all be able to gain something from today's topic so karen the question really is um what was your approach to exercise and nutrition during your two pregnancies well, hi everybody. Um, but to answer your question, Alien, prior to my first pregnancy, I actually sought support from a nutritional therapist, and I'd never seen a nutritional therapist before. But I really wanted to be in the best health possible um, going into that first one, and um, and it, actually, it was from this encounter with this nutritional therapist because I felt that she was so so good that I actually wanted to learn 
learn more about the science behind nutrition. So it was because of her I sort of uh, my career evolved um, into this. So but anyway, um, so seeing her led to me really having quite an easy pregnancy, I would say, apart from the nausea for the first few weeks, which is quite common for a lot of women. Um, regarding my exercise, actually, with both my pregnancies, I was active up until and on the day of the birth. Um, and, and what I did was um, I, I did a lot of swimming mostly. Um, I, when I was pregnant with Edward, my first, I wasn't actually a dedicated runner at that time. Um, I just sort of ran now and again. But by the time I was pregnant with Ellie, I was a marathon runner. Um, but I have to say, I did stop running and return to swimming once um, I realised I was pregnant with Ellie. Because at that time, I didn't really have the, the knowledge as to whether it was okay to run in pregnancy or not. So I just thought, best not to but I knew that swimming was okay and just thinking about my nutrition the second time round I didn't see a nutritional therapist again but I went back to sort of following um, similar guidelines she'd given me lots of information so I just tapped into that again so really I, I do feel that my that combination of my exercise and my nutrition strategies really helped me have fairly smooth pregnancies I would say and also be able to return to my pre-pregnancy weight pretty swiftly so I was really happy about that I have to say. Oh that's great Karen thanks for sharing your experience um, well yeah. I don't have children so I'm afraid I'm unable to share personal experience um, but I'll, I'll try and add in some nutritional advice um, during our conversation which which people might find helpful so um, so let's let's move on and start um, talking about our topic for today um, so as we said it's it's really about post-pregnancy eating for running and I think it'll be an interesting topic because it's not as you say something we hear very much about um although you know I think you know there are people there are some I suppose well-known runners who've talked about it um on, on their experience so hopefully we'll be able to share some information today so we're going to start by giving an outline of what the current research is saying about nutrition and running post-pregnancy we're going to discuss some nutritional approaches uh, to support post-running pregnancy and also give you some ideas about how to put nutritional practices into action um, so Karen let's start with uh, talking about the research so what is the research saying about nutrition and running post-pregnancy well, Aileen, like many aspects of health and well-being linked to sport, the research data is limited. And I think we say this quite a lot, don't we, on, on our podcast, um, because it, in many areas it is quite limited. Um, and also the research that is available on the subject does appear to have been completed mainly on elite athletes rather than amateur athletes, like possibly most of, of, of um, our listeners and us as well. Aileen. So I think it's really in important that we interpret and adapt the information carefully so that that is out there. But the key points from the research um, that really resonated with me include the fact that athletes tend to return to training between not to six weeks post-pregnancy, albeit that the training is reduced when they first return. Um, also, athletes find that their performance is the same or better than pre-pregnancy, which I thought was really interesting. 
there, is, there does appear to be an increased risk of stress fracture post-pregnancy and also pre-pregnancy weight tends to be achieved after approximately six months post-pregnancy. So from the, the data that I was reading, and, and again, this is linked to, to elite athletes, clearly, that's what um, I've, the data that I find most interesting. Well, yeah, it certainly is interesting, but, you know, imagine returning to training within six weeks of giving birth that seems really early to me yeah absolutely Aileen I have to say it seems really early to me um as well but but like I say you know these these are elite athletes who are really focused on achieving um and getting back to their, their sporting careers as soon as possible after birth um but I have to say I certainly didn't return to running that quickly I I, I didn't have the energy for a start but there were lots of other scenarios as well that prevented me getting back so quickly Quickly, but I just wouldn't have wanted to. But I think what we've also have to remember is that although it's possible to return to exercise within not to six weeks post-pregnancy, the exercise intensity does need to be adjusted to allow for that full physical recovery from birth. So they might be returning to um, training, but it's at a much reduced level. It's not back to, to, to where they were beforehand. Yeah, that's a really good point, Karen. Um, so what kind of adjustments would an athlete need, need to make so that they could continue to exercise whilst their body recovers? Um, and also how they, you know, they need time to adjust to life as a mother as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um Pregnancy and childbirth are known to sort of impact the musculoskeletal system, which you could imagine that that occurring. And apparently um, a vaginal birth has been likened to an acute sports injury. Now, I'm not sure if it was a male or a female that has come up with that comparison, but but I have to say from my experience of my son's actual birth, I would say childbirth is much worse than the effects of an acute injury. But I'd, I suppose it would really depend on the type of injury that 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 you're experiencing. But anyway, as there's sort of scant research into this subject, the current guidelines for returning to training post-pregnancy are based on the same principles as returning to sport following an acute sports injury, which is interesting. Now, these principles for returning to sport are explained as a continuum and this continuum is comprised of three elements and the three elements being return to participation, return to the actual sport and then return to performance. So those are the three key areas. Well, that's really interesting. I think that's something that we could apply to different areas, as you say. Um, but could you explain a little bit more about each element and what level of sport that an athlete would be permitted to do at each point? Yeah, sure, Aileen. So, so thinking about that return to participation. Now, this is more sort of like rehabilitation training, and it's carried out, like I was saying earlier, at a much lower level than before pregnancy. And so there'll be a period of this return to participation, and then there would be a return to sport. So that's when the athlete can return to their defined sport, but again, at a performance level that would be below 
pre-pregnancy and then there's return to performance so the uh, the athlete would then gradually return to um should be at her defined sport but at a level equal to or potentially above her pre-pregnancy level so those are the three stages Mm. So that's that's interesting advice. Um, um, it appears that it's geared towards any or all types of sports. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's any information specific to running following pregnancy, Karen. Yes, you're right, Aileen. Those three are sort of linked to, to any sport, really. And I didn't find any information specific to running. However, there were some um, details about returning to endurance sport post-pregnancy, which I, I suppose would include marathon running and beyond. And the guidelines there include reintroducing training gradually, as we've already said, but also including low impact endurance sports initially. So sports such as fast walking or cross country skiing, potentially, and other low impact aerobic type um, activities. Now, this type of exercise is thought to place very little pressure on the pelvic floor, therefore can be introduced fairly soon after after birth. So so that's um, why these would be permitted, but not going straight back into those long endurance activities. Well, that's um, some good suggestions there. Now, mm. you mentioned earlier, Karen, that a vaginal birth can have a big impact on the musculoskeletal system. So what are the common ones experienced and how would that influence an athlete's return to sport? Yeah, that's a really good question, Aileen. So there there are many different complaints and, and potential diseases, really, that a mother can experience postpartum, so that post-pregnancy linked to the musculoskeletal system, but also linked to other body systems as well. And the most common ones include the likes of the pelvic floor dysfunction or pain or and pain. Um, lower back pain is really common. Also, weight gain and depression, which we do hear about. Um, and thinking about how these may influence an athlete's return to sport, looking at the likes of the pelvic floor dysfunction um, and pain. Clearly, if there is pain and it's long lasting, this would need to be evaluated and addressed before commencing exercise and and. and you know, a professional would need to be involved there. Also, for any form of exercise, a strong pelvic floor is required. So as long as there isn't any ongoing pain, strength training for the pelvic floor could be um, started fairly early after birth, actually. And it is thought that it could be that, that it could be included straight after birth. And then thinking about the lower back pain. Now, according to one small study that I was reading, the incidence of lower back pain following birth is similar in athletes and non-athletes. However, um, that lumbopelvic region of the back in athletes undergoes you know, a significant loading and stress in most sports, really, um, if you're competing at high level. So these individuals would potentially be at increased risk of lower back pain following birth. So, um, yeah, so that's just mm. a little bit more insight there. Yeah, I think there are lots of 
professionals out there, you know, physios and exercise professionals who specialize in this type of um, advice. So it's probably worthwhile considering, you know, consulting with them um, so that, you, you know, you've, you've got it all angles covered. Um, one of the things you mentioned, Karen, was depression post-pregnancy. And I mean, this is a, a really a, a huge subject and it's one that we're not really sufficiently qualified to discuss here. Um, but you also mentioned a topic that I think we could um, focus on a little bit, and that is um weight gain post-pregnancy because I know that that's something that many women struggle with and um, you mentioned right at the beginning Karen that some athletes tend to return to their pre-pregnancy weight within six months Um, so again I'm assuming this might be more for athletes who are training and competing at quite a high level you know say club level professional elite runners um, and, and maybe you know for the more amateur runners losing weight following pregnancy might be more of an ongoing issue. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. I think post-pregnancy weight loss can be a real struggle for some women, even the active women, um, and, and I'm thinking about women more like us who are at the at the amateur level, but um, still trying to stay healthy, but post-pregnancy then struggle um, with the weight loss. Now, clearly, there is going to be some weight gain during pregnancy. That's going to be natural. And this is medically known as gestational weight gain. And, and there is a recommended gestational weight gain. However, um, that will depend on on very much on the individual because it's going to depend on their pre-pregnancy weight, also their height, the size of the fetus, are they carrying twins or triplets, etc. So it's very, very individual. But it is thought that if a woman gains over her recommended gestational weight gain, she's more likely to retain approximately three kilograms to four kilograms extra weight up to 20 years post-pregnancy. Now, that's really quite significant, you know, holding on to that amount of extra weight for that period of time. And and also, it's thought that this excess gestational weight gain occurs for up to 75% of women who enter pregnancy overweight and for 40% of those who enter pregnancy um, at a normal weight. So, so really, I think what it's saying here is that it's really important to st- try and stay within that gestational weight gain parameters during the pregnancy to sort of limit the the effort that needs to be put in to lose that weight post-pregnancy. And some other statistics I read about, because I like my statistics, um, is that approximately 25% of women retain more than four kilograms of extra weight one year post-pregnancy. And approximately 20% of women move into a higher BMI 18 months post-pregnancy and that's regardless of their pre-pregnancy BMI so you could have been in a normal BMI pre-pregnancy but if you've gone over that gestational weight gain during pregnancy it's quite possible you'll then go into a higher BMI um, 18 months post-pregnancy. Now this post-pregnancy weight gain 
could potentially put the mother at increased risk of developing some chronic health conditions, including the likes of diabetes and cardiac disease. So ideally, she would want to try and lose the weight as quickly as she can. Um, So, so, you know, that would be the ideal. Yeah, in in as healthy a way as possible. Um, So we'll probably talk about... um, you know, some suggestions on how people do that later on. Because I think, you know, from a nutritional perspective, you need your energy, don't you? So you, you have to eat enough um, and, um, you know, balance that with, um, you know, the weight that you're carrying. But like you say, it's like, it's good to know that you it's, you know, you don't want it long term. And, um, you know, particularly if you maybe at the start of having a family and you know that you're planning to have a second or a third pregnancy, that's something that needs to be managed, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Karen. So, I mean, especially from a a sort of long term health perspective, there are are many demands on a new mum and they face many unique challenges that might get in the way of them managing their weight um, during this post-pregnancy period, you know, that all of which I'm sure anybody who's listening will identify, you know, lack of time, lack of motivation, lack of social support, uh, lack of childcare, you know, maybe you haven't got family close by, maybe your partner might be working, um, you're probably going to have low energy due to sleepless nights. Um, And then also, you know, breastfeeding can, again, be a, a challenge um so you know that kind of all of those kind of things make it um challenging from um you know getting back to exercise and getting back onto a healthy food plan um so we we will talk about some ideas later on Karen about how to put some nutrition and lifestyle practices into action uh, for for running post pregnancy um but before we move before we do that i just thought it would be good to um, discuss something that you mentioned earlier and you said that athletes are more prone to stress fracture post-pregnancy and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that and why that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this data um, was taken from a 2019 paper, which was comparing elite athletes to non-elite, but but still active individuals. And their results showed that 12% of participants, so that was just four females, so a very small study, um, experienced five stress fractures within the first six weeks post-pregnancy. So, um, you know, I think that's quite high because it means one of them had two stress fractures. And interestingly, uh, three of the fractures were in the sacral area. One was a toe stress fracture, which is quite common. And the other one was of the tibia. Now, the athletes that developed the stress fractures were all elite athletes. None of the non-elite athletes experienced any overuse injuries at all, um, certainly within that first nine months post-pregnancy, which is interesting. And some of the facts that I think are worth pointing out about those individuals who developed the stress fractures are that two of the athletes competed in endurance sports um, and the other two were in team ball, were team ball players. They had all returned to high volume sports specific training within six weeks post pregnancy. And when we think about the guidelines we just mentioned, 
the, you know, that it doesn't sound as though there was any gradual return to mm. the sport um, in this study. They were all breastfeeding. And also two of them had a history of disordered eating. So I think what this shows is that the likelihood of stress fractures occurring for most of us, most of our listeners, is is fairly slim. However, I think it would be important to be cautious regarding the amount of training performed whilst breastfeeding. It's clearly really the baby is going to be claiming the best of the nutrients and mum will be surviving on what is left. And if that isn't sufficient for everyday health and running, then it's possible that she could develop a stress fracture or some other form of injury or illness. But again, we will look at this in a bit more detail when we um, discuss nutrition for post-pregnancy running, give some, some ideas and advice regarding that. Yeah, thanks, Karen. I think it's always interesting hearing about these types of case study uh, types of research I think uh, it just sort of illustrates what we're talking about doesn't it absolutely so as an overview what we're saying it's it's possible to return to running shortly after birth so long as you're well and healthy uh, you do need to take advice from your healthcare provider or, or midwife and it would be important to build up slowly include some strength training to support the pelvic floor and musculoskeletal system uh, and also really importantly ensure that you, nutrition is adequate to feed you your baby and also to help prevent the development of a stress fracture or or any other injury or illness so that's um, a really good sort of overview of what we're talking about so so Karen let's let's move on and think about the nutritional factors that would be important to consider uh, to support running post-pregnancy so if we think about the key nutrients first which key nutrients would a, a runner need to consider Karen? Well, there are many, Aileen, including iron, calcium, folate, vitamin B12, iodine, vitamin D, you know, the list goes on. But um, we really don't have time here to discuss them all. So what I thought we could maybe do is discuss two key nutrients. And the ones I suggest that we, we maybe study um, or speak about today, Aileen, would be calcium and iron. Now, there isn't any data that I could find looking at nutrition post-pregnancy specific to athletes. So the, the information that we're going to be providing you with here is information that's been taken from research into post-pregnancy nutrition in the general population, um, again, but it could be adapted to support an individual post-pregnancy. Yeah, I think that that would be helpful. Um, so if we're thinking about the um, post-pregnancy period as well as the breastfeeding period, both um, of those periods at a time where an optimal diet is crucial. And um, as we said earlier, that's really to meet the nutritional needs of the mother and, of course, either the fetus or the baby. Uh, and the reason that, that we say this is because it's crucial for a non-athletic mother to have an optimum diet during these phases. Um, so it's going to be even more crucial and more important if you're, you know, an athlete who's got the added demand of, of your sport. 
Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And I would also um, just highlight here the importance of ideally introducing an optimal diet pre-pregnancy, really just to give the mum the best chance possible of optimal health during as well as post-pregnancy and also reducing that risk of any health concerns for the baby and the mother as well actually during and post-pregnancy so um so that would just be uh, my advice um and certainly what I did and found it incredibly helpful but let's let's sort of now look at the specific nutrients that we decided to to focus on aliens that calcium iron okay well let's have a look at um, iron first so um we did do an episode on iron so there's lots of information there we'll put the link in the in the show notes but let's just have a quick um overview so um Iron is really important for a runner um, in a a number of ways. So um, the first is that iron um, is crucial for the production of hemoglobin and uh, myoglobin. Myoglobin is being the iron and the oxygen binding protein that's found in skeletal muscle tissue and also the heart, whereas the hemoglobin is the oxygen oxygen binding protein uh, that's found in red blood cells. So basically, muscle has its own oxygen stores uh, and we call on that during um, heavy exercise. Um, and it's also uh, known that iron is important for the production of red blood cells as well as for the production of hemoglobin within the red blood cells. So you can really understand how key uh, that iron is for energy production for the runner. Um, it's also important for uh, immune health, for cognition and also for um, hormonal health. And it's also a key component of the energy um, cycle, the cell energy cycle. And we've talked about this in the past. It's sometimes described as the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle. And um, it helps our um, power, our energy production um, through the mitochondria. Um, so the, the, the episode that I mentioned earlier is episode 25 and, and we called it Iron Woman. So if you, if you want more details on iron uptake as a runner, I would suggest that people go back and um, listen to this episode or check out the show notes. That would be a good way of just getting some general information. Um, so thinking about um, iron uptake for a runner post-pregnancy, Karen, what would be the main things that you would be um, wanted to share with everybody yes well interestingly um thinking about during pregnancy the recommended daily intake of um, iron increases from 14.8 milligrams which is the average for for um, a menstruating lady um who's not pregnant um and it, it but when you're pregnant it zooms up to 27 milligrams per day so it's quite a significant jump and in a study paper I was reading it was actually observed that only 28 percent of pregnant women involved in that particular study was hitting this target and the average daily intake was as low as 7.7 milligrams per day so it's really quite low amount per day so um you know 
my advice there would be just maybe to have your iron levels checked out before you become pregnant, but um, potentially during pregnancy as well. And as we mentioned earlier, health and nutrition status pre and during pregnancy will determine how a mum recovers post-pregnancy. So, I think in order to return to running as swiftly as possible, it is important to ensure that iron levels are optimal um, during pregnancy and also pre-pregnancy as well. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, again, good advice. So it's all about getting the foundations in place and knowing your status, isn't it? Absolutely. So so that, you know, what we would be promoting would be a food first approach to iron intake throughout pregnancy and postpartum um, and beyond. But for some, a supplement might be necessary. And um, if that's the case, we'd highly recommend that you work with a professional when considering supplementation um, as high dose iron intake if the upper upper limits are exceeded, it can be detrimental to uh, both mother and fetus, um, with regards to um, the child, we'd be thinking about neurodevelopment. Um, so, Karen, we, what would be the issues around the potential for iron toxicity and how um, how about if iron deficiency is apparent, what would be the pe- potential detrimental effects on the fetus and the mother-to-be? Well, regarding the fetus, um, if the the, the mother to be is anemic, it, it is thought to increase the risk of preterm birth, but also low birth weight and um, impaired psychomotor development and impaired cognitive function. So it can have quite significant um, effects if if iron levels are low, especially if the mother is in an anemic state. Now, Clearly, anemia is going to have that detrimental effect on the mother-to-be as well. And some of the the effects there include tiredness and fatigue, uh, reduced resistance to infection, so more susceptible to to, um, illness, also headaches, low blood pressure. They may experience palpitations and also reduced um, cognition, so reduced thinking and, and, and mood uh, effects as well and really all, all of this um, leading to poor running performance if the mum-to-be is still running so so um, quite an array of different symptoms both for the for the fetus and the mum. Yeah so it's important not to over supplement or um, have a low iron status mm. and get it checked I think that's the, the message too much or too little is is going to be potentially detrimental to you and your baby um so that's that's really helpful karen that's a bit of a snapshot introduction into iron in pregnancy and post-pregnancy so shall we move on and talk about the second um nutrient that you mentioned calcium so we we know that calcium is really important for bone health and muscular contraction and the the recommended daily intake for a non-pregnant female is around 700 milligrams Um, so Karen is this the same for pregnant and breastfeeding women or is there a different um, recommendation as there was with with iron yeah no actually Aileen it is the same as for um, non-pregnant women so 700 milligrams per day as you stated is um, 
what what is recommended for pregnant women. Now, it appears that the, the body manages to maintain a constant blood level of calcium via what's known as a homeostatic control mechanism. Now, this calcium homeostatic response during pregnancy includes um, an increase in intestinal calcium absorption, um, really directly related to the female's calcium intake. So clearly, she needs to be taking on sufficient calcium for uh, an increased uptake of calcium if that's required to maintain this homeostatic state. But also... um, her vitamin D availability will be important because vitamin D is required for that calcium absorption. And also this homeostasis is maintained through um, increased or decreased uh, urinary excretion of calcium. That will just depend um, on, on the individual's status. And also there is an increased bone turnover occurring during pregnancy. So again, um, the the body will be looking at maintaining the homeostatic um, um, status thinking about that that increased uh, bone turnover. Now, Thinking about the bone turnover, if an inadequate amount of calcium is consumed during pregnancy, it could be one of the the major risk factors for the development of stress fractures post-pregnancy, like we were discussing earlier. And also... um, Another point to consider here is that the bulk of fetal skeletal growth takes place from mid-pregnancy onwards, with maximum calcium needs occurring during the third trimester. So this really would be an even more crucial time for the mum to be thinking about optimising calcium intake to prevent any of the detrimental effects to to mother or to baby. Okay, so that's all very interesting, Karen, and lots for people to think about here. one of the things that um, you know we've, we've mentioned is that low calcium status impacts on bone health in the mother and bone formation in the fetus, as well as poor muscle contraction um, in in the mother. Um, but low levels, I think this is really worth pointing out. Low levels are are, in, are also linked to an increased risk of preeclampsia and overall child health outcomes following the birth. So um, we can't underestimate how important calcium statuses I think yeah I agree Lean. I think that really the overarching message here is that it's really important to consider nutrient status during pregnancy and and ideally pre-pregnancy really to try and limit or prevent any of these detrimental health concerns occurring post-pregnancy so that you know, the, the, the mother can then return to her running as soon as possible, but also giving the baby the best chance and, and, and a healthy outcome. Now, I just wanted to say here that I haven't mentioned any female factors. Um, and, and this was intentional because really 
all of the information is exclusive to females. There is there are no comparisons to males. So so there aren't any specific female factors here because um, they're all for you. So Aileen, uh, before we move on and consider some of ideas of how to put these nutritional recommendations into action, shall we just pause for an advert break? Yeah, sure. Um, so this is the moment in the episode where Karen and I take uh, just a minute to talk to you about what we do outside of the podcast. And uh, one of the questions that we're often asked by runners is, what do I eat pre, during and, and after a training run or a race? And it's often the first question that we get asked. And, and obviously, we focus a lot on this during our episodes because we really believe if you get this right then you're going to be a, a fitter faster and stronger runner and you're going to recover quickly ready for your next run um, what we did uh, quite a while ago we designed a, a free nutrition guide as a, a companion to our episodes and it's called uh, top running snacks and nutrient timing so it's, it's a free resource it's a pdf ebook and it lists down all our suggestions of what and when to eat pre during and post training uh, and it's really there to, to just be a quick reference guide for you um, so far more than a thousand runners have downloaded our guide and we've had some great feedback and uh, you know we just want to uh, remind you if you haven't got it to um, to download it and if you've already done so and you've lost it you can download it again um, and as I said earlier it just will give you a quick reference point so you can quickly put our suggestions into action um, before you go out on your next run so if you'd like the free nutrition guide all you need to do is visit our website which is runnershealthhub.com look at the top menu bar uh, you'll see free nutrition guide there pop in your email and we'll send you over the free guide um, we really hope it helps you and um, please let us know how you get on with it if there's anything any more information or you've got any questions um, we're always here for you just drop us an email at hello at runnershealthhub.com and that will help you out and we love to get feedback so if you've got any other ideas of what you would like as a free uh, resource do let us know great thanks very much Aileen so I'm really conscious that time's rolling on, so we don't have a huge amount of time to, to discuss how to put nutritional advice, advice into practice. But maybe let's start by considering some key actions you could take, um, whether you're consider, considering getting pregnant, are pregnant, or have recently um, given birth. And I think my first piece of advice would be to engage with a professional, really just to ensure you are receiving appropriate advice for your personal circumstances and also for your running goals. And, and just remember that Aileen and I are here and we'd be really happy to work with you in achieving um, optimum nutrition for your running and your running goals uh, during and post-pregnancy. So if you're interested in working with us at all, then just drop us a line at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll um, arrange a call with you. Um, but thinking about your, your nutrition, just remember that food comes first. So um, foods to consider introducing maybe to help optimize your iron levels would include um, heme iron. So that's the readily absorbed um, form of iron and it can be found in um, meat, fish, um, poultry. But I have to say that that meat, the red meat is the principal source of that heme, that readily available um, iron. Yeah, and there's also non-heme iron, and 
that's not as easily absorbed uh, because it, it needs to be converted into its soluble form, um, which you get in the heme iron. Um, so the, the sources of the non-heme iron are plant foods. Um, so if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you probably are listening out here to find out what they are. Um, so you, you'd find um, non-heme iron in cereals, grains, legumes, uh, fruit and vegetables, eggs, um, blackstrap, molasses, uh, and then you might also um, want to consider um, things like dried apricots, broccoli, dates, raisins, um, all the dark green leafy vegetables, herbs, peas as well. And and also you sometimes find that some um, foods are fortified and you, you'll see that on the label fortified with, with iron. Um, so we we talk um, about this again in that episode that I mentioned earlier, the episode 25, Iron Woman. Um, and what we talk about there is that um, it, it is possible that some foods either enhance or inhibit iron absor- absorption. Um, so what you eat with your iron or what you drink with your iron source foods is, is really important. So um, good idea to go back and check out that episode or check the, the show notes to go with it just to uh, make sure that you're getting the most from your food. I think that's the really important message. Yeah, absolutely. And and so really what I would say here is that unless you're vegetarian or vegan, it may be appropriate for you to, to think about introducing a portion of red meat once or maybe twice weekly into your meal plan because it is the best source of that readily available um, heme iron. Now, you do get some non-heme iron in meat, fish and poultry as well. But it's predominantly heme iron, so it is going to be readily um, absorbed. But what I would say here for um, pregnant pregnant uh, mums um, is to avoid liver because it does contain high levels of vitamin A, which is thought to be harmful to an unborn baby. So um, so maybe avoiding liver. Also think about choosing natural meats opposed to the processed type meats and wherever you can consuming um, organic meats and ensure that it's well cooked so that would be my advice and then thinking about calcium I think most people typically think of getting their calcium from um, dairy foods such as milk and cheese but you can also find it in many other foods. Um, I'm thinking here of the likes of small fish, such as sardines, because you're going to get the calcium from the, the small edible um, bones within the sardines. Also, anchovies are, are, are another type of small fish as well. But also plant um, foods, including dark green leafy vegetables, nuts and seeds, such as um poppy seeds, sesame, chia seeds. So lots of different places where you can find um, calcium. You don't have to depend on milk and cheese. And Aileen, would you, would you add anything else to, to this list? Yeah, there are a few foods um, that maybe aren't so, um, you wouldn't know necessarily that they were calcium rich. So um, things like amaranth, um, fruits such as apricots, blueberries, blackberries, uh, legumes, the chickpeas, kidney beans, 
Um, sometimes you'll find tofu has been fortified and other fortified products like milk and milk alternatives and bread. So you can see there's a crossover here between some of the foods that we're talking about, iron as well as calcium. Mm. So that, that's good to know. Um, and just a, a word of caution when consuming um, dairy products in pregnancy and during breastfeeding um, ensure that the choices you make are pasteurized because unpasteurized dairy products might contain listeria and that's known to cause an infection called listeriosis which has been linked to a, a potential um, increased risk of miscarriage and stillbirth although the risk is thought to be low I think it's um, just good to be aware of this um, so I think that that's probably my list of calcium foods, Karen. Um, but I just wondered, um, before we, we round up for today, could we give some tips for post-pregnancy weight gain? Because we, we said earlier that often is a concern for many women. Yeah, sure, Aileen. That's a really good idea. So so what I would say is from the research I've read, um, the 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 overwhelming consensus was that really a healthy lifestyle and appropriate weight status um, should be achieved pre-pregnancy, which is what we were saying earlier, to help limit the amount of weight gain during pregnancy. And this, again, is going to assist in losing that gestational weight gain fairly quickly post-pregnancy so so the message there is to 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 achieve that that health healthiness and appropriate weight pre-pregnancy and also it would appear that 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 it's the combined healthy nutrition and the physical activity that provides the best outcomes linked to that weight loss post-pregnancy one or the other has limited effects so you could be eating healthily but not doing any exercise or you could be exercising but not um, eating um, an optimal diet and that's going to limit the um, the success that you have and also um, an adequate food intake is really important so that both both the mum and the baby are receiving sufficient nutrients and I think you mentioned that earlier Aileen that um, it, it, you are it's not about eating for two but you are especially during pregnancy and if you're still breastfeeding you have to consider the the baby there so it is important that you are not overeating but that you are eating sufficient to to nourish you both um now we are discussing mainly weight gain here but like like i've just sort of said um it is in athletes especially there is that risk of that reduced energy availability if you're not eating sufficiently and if that goes unchecked and isn't really addressed it could lead to red s which we have discussed that's that relative energy deficiency in sport and that is a, a topic we discuss in a lot of detail in episode 54 eating enough to run so it might be um helpful to to some people to go back and listen to that episode just to ensure that you are eating enough so um it, it is about appropriate nutrition for your individual needs and ensuring that you that you follow that plate balance um and and, and thinking about yes you as an individual um, rather than general guidelines 
Yeah, so I think the, the sort of rounding up or moving on from the sort of general advice, some tips that people can think about, um, particularly about knowing what are you eating enough, is know your energy requirements and include your running requirements and also for breastfeeding when you're working out what your requirements are. Um, so it's all about eating enough um, for all the energy expenditure and adjust that daily food intake depending on whether you're exercising or not. And obviously you'll adjust that as your exercise um, increases uh, as you know the weeks and months go on. Um, it would be really helpful to choose low GL foods, so the low glycemic load foods. Um, combine protein and carbohydrate at each meal and snack, and that's going to help um, balance blood sugar levels. And thinking about nutrition whilst you're breastfeeding, um, again, it's important to make sure you're eating enough to um, feed your baby and yourself. Um, that'll make sure that your baby gets the right nutrients. Um, and if you're not eating enough, you're going to suffer too. Um, and also, um, it, it's going to help you run better. And potentially, um, if you if you're under eating, that could move you into a, an energy deficit. A deficit, sorry, without really realizing that that's you know going to happen. So it's really important that you really focus on. Um, eating enough but really just plate balance so we always talk about a quarter of a plate of protein a quarter of a plate of low GL carbohydrates and half a plate of um, vegetables um, if you do that at your main meals that's a really simple approach and it's going to help balance your blood sugar give you plenty of energy and start promoting a healthy uh, weight loss um, and also you know if you find that within you know weeks or months of having your baby that the weight isn't moving that might be that there's other things going on there could be other um, health issues that um, are related to biochemical imbalances so it could be hormonal digestive immune um, seek professional advice you know speak to a nutritionist we can help if that's something that you you need help with um, so um don't suffer. Don't let it go on too long. Because as Karen said earlier, you don't want to be carrying that weight into future pregnancies and future um, phases of your life. It's important to to get it right for yourself. Okay, so that's that brings us to the end of uh, today's episode. So before we you know finalise, Karen, I wondered if you could um, just round up your key takeaways from today. Yes, sure, Eileen, I'll try and be as swift as possible. Um, I think that the important thing to note here is that it's the the research is very limited into the subject of post-pregnancy nutrition and running and, and more quality research does need to be completed and hopefully it will be in the future. Most of the research to date has been carried out on elite athletes rather than amateurs and really the key outcomes from that research um, include the likes of um, the fact that athletes tend to return to training between not to six weeks post-pregnancy, but that the training is reduced. Um, but just remember that there is an increased risk of stress fracture post-pregnancy and um, pre-pregnancy weight can be achieved after approximately six months post-pregnancy but that's if um, an individual's managed to maintain that gestational weight gain stayed within the parameters of that. 
But regarding weight loss, this is not the case for the general population of women post-pregnancy. Weight gain is a common issue amongst them, even for some amateur athletes as well. And there are many challenges that women face post-pregnancy that could limit the weight loss that they're able to achieve, including the likes of the lack of time, lack of motivation, lack of childcare, and certainly lack of energy. Um, And there are many nutritional factors to consider for your running post-pregnancy, including iron, calcium, folate, vitamin B12 and iodine. And thinking about the ones that we discussed today, um, iron and and calcium, um, iron intake needs to increase from 14.8 milligrams per day up to 27 milligrams per day, whereas calcium intake remains constant at 700 milligrams per day. However, its absorption via the digestive tract does increase to maintain its homeostasis. And remember, food comes first. So think about increasing your daily intake of these key nutrients during pregnancy and post-pregnancy as well. And then to try to limit weight gain um, post-pregnancy, remember that a healthy lifestyle and appropriate weight status Um, would ideally you'd want to achieve that pre-pregnancy to help limit the amount of weight gain during pregnancy, therefore assisting in, in losing that gestational weight gain fairly swiftly post-pregnancy. And also it does appear that the combined healthy nutrition and physical activity provides the best outcomes linked to weight loss post-pregnancy. And But just remember that adequate food intake is important so that both mother and baby are receiving sufficient nutrients. And then finally, remember that we are all individual with individual needs. So if you are having difficulty losing weight or getting back into your post-pregnancy, speak to us or speak to someone. Um, and if you speak to us, we can arrange a consultation to assist you. Okay, that's great, Karen. That's really been insightful, um, especially as this is an area that there's not a lot of research uh, around the health and performance of uh, women uh, post-pregnancy. So let's hope there's more research becomes available soon. And remember, everybody, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. 
They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.